This is recording number 11046 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, April 21, 2013. This is the third and final message in a series titled, Finding God at the End of the Road. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Without a Map. Finding God at the End of the Road. And I've asked this each week so far, and uh, so I'm not going to let it stop me again, or stop me from asking it again just because I have in the past. Um, I know this is redundant, but I'm going to ask it again. How many of you have ever felt like you were, again, felt is the key word. You felt as though you were at the end of the road. Okay. So once again, I feel like I'm speaking to the right crowd, because I've certainly been there. Where it seems as though I, I, I don't know what to do next. I, 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 I'm out of real estate. I, I'm, I'm lost. Well, I don't believe that God ordains, orders, manu- uh, creates those situations for us. But I believe he does use them. And that he wants for us to find him there. So we've been talking about some of the ways that, or some of the ways of describing what the end of the road looks like and how uh, the Lord wants to meet us in a unique way depending upon that, the, the conditions that we find ourselves in. And so we've talked about a couple of things. Today we're going to be talking about finding God at the end of the road without a map. Without a map. Um, I was visiting my brother in Southern California a few years ago. He had just bought a new house. I had been there once, but I'd never driven there. So I really didn't know the way. I was uh, down in L.A. for another reason, and I had rented a car, and I was trying to get to my brother's house. The car had a GPS in it, and I uh, was following the, the GPS instructions. Many of you have probably had this experience before. And the GPS got me to a vacant lot. And uh, it was a little disconcerting, because then I didn't know what to do. You know? And I had, to, I had to call my brother and you know, figure out, get... get uh, voice instructions but sometimes it feels like life has uh, parked you at a vacant lot and you're not sure where to go next isn't that the case and I believe the Lord wants does not want for us to live life that way lost I believe the Lord wants for us to have a sense of purpose and a sense of vision I'll explain why in just a minute uh, how many of you ever been to Disneyland Okay, anybody with their, that has been to Disneyland have been on the Autopia ride? A couple of us? Diehards? Autopia um, <clears throat> is the ride where you get in a car and drive around a track, you know, and it's great fun for kids because, well, they're behind the wheel of a car <laughs> and, they, and they have some maneuverability. They can't go off-road. It's a constrained environment. You know, there's curbs on the side. The engines have a governor on them. They can only go so fast. And there's this thing down the middle of the road uh, that uh, prohibits the car from turning too far one way or the other. So it's a pretty safe environment. Can you imagine what Disneyland would be like if you turned little five-year-olds loose in a car without those restraints? <laughs> It'd be a mess, wouldn't it? 
There's something about that that helps me understand the way God meant for life to be lived. He meant for us to be, to have a focus to our life. Not constrained in the sense of bound up, but constrained in the sense that we, have, we know where we're going, at least in part. And so we may weave here or there. We may, uh, you know, have some uh, maneuverability within that, those constraints, but at least we have a sense of the map. We know that this road is taking us. We have an, an idea of where this road is taking us, and, we, and it causes life to be more, more enjoyable, more purposeful, more fulfilling in every way. And I believe that's what the Lord meant when he said to us in the book of Proverbs, 29 verse 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. That's the King James Version. Where there's no vision, people perish. The New King James Version says, where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. To me, vision and revelation are kind of like that, that road in Autopia. Uh, it brings definition. It brings... Um, guidance it brings focus to my life and when I don't have that it's as though I have come unhooked from something and I'm just bobbing along I think of it like a ship that's gotten uh, unroped un, uh, I forget what they call it you know the rope for, that's moored them to uh, that, that uh, either the, the pier or the pylon where they, they've anchored that rope has come undone and now the ship is just adrift on the tide and wherever the winds and, and waves and uh, you know, currents will take it. And sometimes people feel that way in life. They feel like they're just bouncing around, just reacting, just um, you know, taking life as it comes and just trying to stay afloat. And I don't think that's the way God meant for life to be lived and that's why he said to us where there's no revelation... The people cast off restraint. Where there's no vision, people perish. He wants for us to be people of vision. <clears throat> Let's start reading at uh, verse 6 of Acts chapter 16. Paul the Apostle, one of the leading uh, characters in the uh, New Testament is returning. This is his second missionary journey. He, he's based in a city called Antioch in Syria and there's a big thriving church there in that city and they sent him to take the gospel to places where the gospel hadn't reached, hadn't, uh, reached yet or penetrated yet within the Roman Empire and he did that on his first missionary journey, returned to uh, Antioch and now he's heading out again on his second missionary journey he, and where we pick up the story is he's already revisited some of the places where he'd been before and encouraged the new believers there and checked in on the churches that have grown up in those cities where he's where he had visited before and he's about ready to move into territory where he's not been yet the gospel is about to advance into places where it hasn't gone yet verse 6 now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. First of all, that word Asia is not what we would think of as Asia. Now it's referring to the Roman province of Asia, which was primarily what we know as modern Turkey. So kind of Central Asia uh, from, from our vantage point. And Paul travels here now, and he's wanting to preach the gospel in Asia, but the Holy Spirit says no. That's kind of interesting, don't you think? And so he, we, we carry on 
In verse 7, after they had come to Mysia, so he travels from the province of Asia to Mysia, and he tried to go to Bithynia, which is north from there. He's continued in a westward movement. I'll show you in a minute on a map. But he wants to go north into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit him. Verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And Troas is right on the edge of the Aegean Sea. So let's take a look at, just so you get a picture of what's going on here. <clears throat> Starts off in Syria, makes his way uh, through the places where he had gone on his first missionary journey. And then he heads west towards Asia. Holy Spirit says, nope. So he heads on, continuing west towards Mysia, and he wants to go up to a city up in the north, northern part of that part of the world, Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit says no. So he just continues west as far as he can go without getting in a boat. He gets to Troas. Now, um... Let's continue reading at verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia. Macedonia is on the other side of the Aegean Sea there in northern Greece. I don't know how uh, Paul identified this guy. He sees in this vision in the night, a dream or a vision that he has in the night. I don't know how he identifies him as Macedonian, but he does. He knows, it's, it's, uh, he's aware that this man is from Macedonia. And this guy stands there pleading with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. So they leave there, they travel up to this island in the, in the Aegean Sea, to Samothrace. And uh, it says, Then the next day we went on to the mainland, to Neapolis, and from there, verse 12 tells us, they went to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. So they're just hanging out there in Philippi. Verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside. See, it was Paul's practice whenever it was the Sabbath to gather with Jewish believers and worship God. And so, uh, there, being in the Roman Empire, there's not a lot of synagogues, and the people, the Jewish people, hung uh, on Sabbath, hung out down at the riverside. He hears about that, and he goes down there to, to be with them, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia uh, heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. She was... Um, uh, a businesswoman, not from Philippi, from Thyatira. So she's there in the city for something having, probably having to do with her business. She's gone out to the riverside to hang with the, with the Jewish believers. And Paul is, is ministering the gospel to these women and she hears it. And then it says, The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. In verse 15, and we'll conclude here, when she and her household were baptized. So they have come to faith. So far the, the Lord has caused her heart to be open to this gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And she's responded in faith and in her entire household is baptized. And she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. I want to go back now and just talk to you a little bit about when you're at the end of the road without a map 
what can we learn from this, uh, from this passage that helps us? Number one, receive a vision. So, Paul has come to Troas and he's exhausted his vision. It's like my trip to my brother's and he's at the, he's at the vacant lot. He's out of vision. And pretty much we all know we need something. We need more clarity. We need an answer from God about where we go from here. And a lot of times we'll start praying and just banging on heaven and saying, God, I'm stuck here. Is your hearing aid off? You know, I need you. I don't know what to do here. I don't know whether to take this job. I don't know whether to move my family across the country. I don't know whether to buy that house. I don't know what to do. I'm without a vision. I'm out of vision. I've lost the map. So for me to say receive a vision is kind of obvious. But there are some things that I think we can, uh, we need to be careful of we don't make a, sta- a mistake about when we're in that situation. One is don't manufacture a vision. Don't make one up. There's a big difference between goals and vision. There's a lot of people who are very good at setting goals. I'm, I'm going to get this degree. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. They set these goals. And there's nothing wrong with setting goals. But that's not the same as vision. It's not enough. Because you'll finish that goal and then what? Well, I'll get my master's degree. Right? It's not enough. It's not the same as vision. And sometimes we try to soup, uh, we try to uh, substitute goals for vision. Don't do it. Don't manufacture a vision. Don't borrow one either. Another mistake a lot of us make when we're in that situation is to borrow somebody else's vision. Somebody will come along with a convincing vision of what you should be doing for God or what you should be doing with your life. And sometimes it's easy just to say, okay, sign me up. It's a mistake though. Don't borrow someone else's vision. When I was nine years old, uh, I, I felt as though the Lord spoke to me. I was being baptized in water I'd come to faith in Christ. I was being baptized and I felt like the Lord told me that he wanted me to be a pastor. I didn't know what that mean, meant. I, I had, how could I? I? I was nine years old. I had no idea what, what would re, be required to, to do that or, or anything. But I do remember the Lord speaking that to me. And so it brought vision. It brought guidance. It was like those constraints on Natopia. It was... It helped me to know what, how to prepare myself, what courses to take, what kind of education to pursue. It, it, it gave me guidance. It gave me a vision, a sense of where I was headed and kept me on track until I reached my uh, teen years. Uh, late teens, actually, in early 20s. I went off to Bible college and uh, started to figure out how hard this was going to be. <laughs> First to prepare to be a pastor and then number two to actually do it you know and I and I got to thinking wow do I really do I really want to do this is this really right it challenged me and uh, then I borrowed somebody's vision 
I borrowed the Christian rock star vision. And uh, so th this is me over here on the, on the left of the piano thing there. And what I'm going to show you now, just for the heck of it, has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> I'm going to show you a, a quick montage of a bunch of concert posters over a, uh, an old um, radio spot. There's a couple of Easter eggs. There's a, you can look for the Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm posters and you can listen for the, the ticket price. You'll be f amused by that. So here we go. Coming to San Jose State University, a pillow concert. A pillow concert? Yes, a pillow concert featuring the Hollywood recording group Children of the Light. Barry McGuire says that he hasn't heard a group minister with such humble authority since the old love song days. So bring a friend and a pillow to the Student Union Ballroom Saturday night, March the 6th, 8 o'clock, San Jose State. Tickets at the door, only a buck and a half. See and hear Children of the Light. San Jose State Student Union Ballroom Saturday night, March the 6th, a San Jose Concert Ministries presentation. I spent a number of years uh, borrowing someone else's vision. And, um, you know, it was okay. But it's not enough. It's never enough to borrow someone else's vision. When you need vision, the tough thing is you need to wait for it. And I don't know anything harder in life than just waiting on God. It stinks. <laughs> it's hard. You know, they say that God is the God of the 11th hour. I don't know who thought that up. I don't even know if it's true. But it just it seems to me that God is the God of 1 o'clock in the morning. I mean, it's, you know, it's past midnight. I know that's not, not true. That I, I know from, you know, as I look back over my life and as I read the Word of God, that God is always right on time. But sometimes it feels different than that. And waiting on God for vision is tough. We don't know how long Paul was in Troas. We don't know. The guess is that it wasn't that long. But it may have been hours. It may have been days. It may have been weeks. It may have been months. We don't know. However long it was, he was waiting. And I challenge you, if you are today without a vision, don't manufacture one, don't borrow one, wait. Because God has a plan for you. That he was writing before you were born. That's what Psalm 139 tells us. And you may have lost your way and gotten off track. Join the club. But he's not forsaken or forgotten what he wrote. Wait for him. And when he begins to speak to you, it will be easy to miss. Don't. Paul has this vision, and uh, he takes action on, based on something that is, first of all, I'm sure, not when he expected it. I sp I'm sure, if Paul's anything like me, that he was expecting God to speak to him the day that he, that he arrived in Troas. But we know that there was some period of waiting involved. As you are waiting from God, it will not be... God I can almost guarantee you that it will you will not hear from God as you're pounding on heaven's door, desperate, God, speak to me, speak to me now! I've prayed that one. 
And the reason that he doesn't is because God is not cruel. But if he did, you would not know that it was him. You would not be able to determine that it was him for sure. However, when God speaks to you when you're under the sink repairing the plumbing, out of the blue, when you're not banging on heaven's door, it's kind of, what? I've had that happen to me. When I'm out mowing the lawn and all I'm expecting to do is get you know, some hay fever, and God will speak to me, it's like, it's like the Bible says when you come to a crossroads and you don't know which, to which way to turn, there will be a voice from behind you sneaking up on you that says, this is the way, walk in it. It'll be when you don't expect it. And I can also almost always guarantee you that it won't be what you expect. I doubt whether Paul was expecting a vision of a Macedonian. I don't know what he was expecting, but if he's anything like me, he was probably not expecting what happened. Just as though, just as when in 2006, we were asked to come to... Uh, check out the possibility of, of pastoring this church for one year. That's, that's how we were approached. Sue and I had, in 2000, the fall of 2004, we had resigned from the church we, were, we had started and were pastoring in San Jose for years because we felt like the Lord was saying he had something new for us. We had no idea it would be a year later that we find out what was next. And even when that... Uh, offer came to us, it sure didn't seem like what we were looking for. It was not what we expected and it wasn't when we expected it. We were asked to come and spend a year here as interim pastors and uh, uh, raise up someone to take the church. And we really didn't want to do that because, you know, some of you know the story that the church had gone through a painful loss of a pastor due to a, a moral failure. And in the aftermath of that kind of thing, first of all, there was just a handful of people left. And usually the case is when that kind of thing happens that people are angry, they're hurt, they're bitter, they're, you know, not, not, a lot of things that are not so good. And I was not interested in wading into that. But the Lord had a plan. He had a plan. And he began to give us vision that we didn't expect, and that we weren't looking for. And here it is seven years later. God has done an awful lot. I'm thankful. Don't miss it. It's easy to miss. Because it won't be when you expect it. It won't be what you expect. And let me tell you, it will never be specific enough. Paul gets this vision Come on over to Macedonia and help us. Macedonia is a big place. Where in Macedonia? Where, what am I supposed to do when I get there? Who am I supposed to see? It's like a friend of mine, his, he was telling me he, lives in, he lived in Eugene, Oregon, kind of in the middle of the state. And he was telling me about his mother-in-law coming to visit him. And he asked her, do you know how to get here? And she said, oh yeah, she was driving from California to Eugene, Oregon. He says, do you know how to get there? And, and she says, oh yes, go to Oregon and turn left. There's something missing there. There's not quite enough information, is there? It will not get her to her destination. And that's kind of what Paul has here. Come on over to Macedonia and help us. It's not specific enough. 
And it won't be what you're looking for and asking God for in terms of vision. You will not, it will not be specific enough because then there would be no faith involved and without faith it's impossible to please God. And he is more concerned about the relationship than you arriving at a destination. It will be just enough to get you pointed in the right direction. And then after that, it's one step at a time. But please, take the step. It says there that Paul immediately, verse 10, now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go. And I don't imagine, here's how I picture it. I picture they go down to the wharf and they find the first boat leaving. And they get on that. Because they don't know where they're going except to Macedonia. So they get on the first boat, they travel to Samothrace, and uh, you know, they're out still on an island in the Aegean Sea. What do we do next? I don't know. We're not, we're, we're not in Macedonia yet. Let's get on the next boat. And they get to the mainland, and then they make their way to Philippi, the heart of in the, uh, you know, the, the, the main city of that region. And then it says they hang around. They just wait. Sabbath comes along, and they say, well, you know, we always get together with the with the Jewish people on the Sabbath, well, let's go find where Jews are hanging out. And then, the first European convert. First European convert. My heritage is European. I'm German by heritage. I would not be here today had Lydia not come to Jesus in Philippi that day. What Paul doesn't know is that within days of her conversion, <laughs> Because of the uproar that happens as a result of the gospel being preached in Philippi, he ends up in jail, in prison, beaten, his feet in stocks. I think if the Lord had told him, here's where I'm taking you, Paul, he might not have signed up for that. But in that jail, he leads the jailer to Christ. The jailer and his whole household become believers and now a church is planted in Philippi. You can look in your Bible and find a letter to the church in Philippi. Because Paul took action on a vision that was not very specific. Take action. Don't delay. Take it a step at a time. That's all he did. That's all he did. One step at a time. Just responding to what the Lord presented him in the moment. Ask, that's what makes this such a grand adventure. That's what makes this Christian life so exceedingly wonderful.